Hi, listeners. So last time we discussed the invoking of emergency powers in Canada to deal with protests. Um, A little update in case you weren't aware. Uh, Last week, the Prime Minister Justin Trudeau ended the use of the emergency powers, saying they were no longer needed because the protesters had been largely cleared away. Uh, It was probably going to be voted down eventually anyway. So this way, uh, Trudeau gets to save face. So that's how that chapter ended. Today, we're again casting our eyes to other countries of the Anglosphere, um, and today it's New Zealand. Uh, Because of what's been going on in Ukraine, um, events in New Zealand uh, that are a bit similar in some ways to the protest events in Canada have hardly rated in general media coverage here in Australia. So um, I'm a bit undercooked on what's been going on. So we have Annie O'Brien, digital editor of the platform New Zealand, the platform NZ, it's a fairly new independent media site over there. Um, she has worked for the opposition national party over there, but is actually not at all a, a partisan hack. That that'd be right to say. Yeah, I, I try my best. I um I was actually I'd say I've, I've traversed uh, the political spectrum um, personally and in my work. But yeah, I, I did work for the leader of the opposition for a year. Um, but now again, I'm a a, a free agent and I'm happily criticizing everyone <laughs> very good um and like you're, you've got a a uh, a pinned tweet on your twitter that says to settle speculation about my politics i've given votes to greens labor national and act is that act yeah uh, yep. over the years i worked for national in 2021 and you also say you like good faith disagreements and principled people dislike disingenuousness and foucault and care about women's rights and democracy. That's great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a good, yep, that's all me. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and your Medium bio says um, gender critical lesbian radical feminist. Yeah, so I, I don't even know if I would still still use those um, uh, that moniker anymore just because things move so quickly and and, and I feel like so much more politics have been imbued into it. Uh-huh. Now I kind of just say I care about women's rights. And, um, yep, I'm a lesbian, so I've got that, that um, lens on things sometimes. Yep. Um, but, but mostly um, I'm happy to uh, look at things that progress women's rights and, and I'll challenge things that I feel like are hindering them. Um, yep. and, and, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at yeah okay so maybe you can give us a quick summary of what's happening um what's happened I should say over the last few weeks because I don't really Mm -hmm. have a a grasp on it the coverage has been pretty patchy so in terms of um the the protests are we talking about protests against a particular uh government policy on vaccinations um what's actually happened is um uh it's been centered around and anti-mandate protesting um, and so that's what everyone seems to all agree on as part of this quite disparate group of people um, however a lot of other grievances have been also getting aired at these at the protest um, so some of them are, are anti-vax um, some of them are to do with completely um, unrelated policies like uh, three waters which is a, a water ownership <laughs> saga that's going on um and a lot of it a lot of it is anti-government and anti-media uh sentiment Uh, there's a lot of distrust 
uh, and um, a lot of, I think, feelings of alienation um, among those at the protest. So you live in Wellington, the capital city where this mm -hmm. is happening. So you, have you had a chance to go and chat to people? Yeah. Yeah, so I went down in the first week and then um, my boss from the platform has also been down there and we actually commissioned a survey as well because we wanted to get uh, a more accurate picture of who was protesting because there was a lot of speculation and a lot of hyperbolic kind of, you know, it's run by the alt-right or it's um, white supremacist and we really wanted to make sure that we were able to talk to the people themselves and hear who they, they actually are. Um, yeah. So when I went down there in the first week, it actually had a real festival vibe. So people had pitched up tents on the front lawn of Parliament um, and there was a lot of music and dancing. It was all very, um, very chill. And I know that it kind of, it ramped up in that last week and, and especially on the last day, it got really bad. The so last day is what, um, this week or? Yes, yeah, so it was Wednesday, 2nd of March. Okay. Um, basically, the police um, decided that it was time to move in and they were going to clear Parliament. Um, at the same time, there seems to have been an influx of um, people who were quite keen on a, on a scrap, um, who seemed either to have joined the protest late or um, to be using it as an excuse, I would say. Um, and so it turned into quite a violent clash um, and uh, tents were lit, uh, lit on fire on the lawn of Parliament. Um, bricks were thrown. Um, it was quite awful scenes to see. You don't um, want to see them in your um, country and your, your, your city. Yeah. Um, but the, the lawn has been cleared now. Uh, the protesters seem to be trying to regroup. Um, so they have tried to settle at MRI just um, down, um, just outside of the inner Wellington. But yeah. um, I think there's still some unsettled kind of, um, yeah, they're not, they're not really settled in anywhere else yet. Yeah. And are, the, are they, gen is it a mix of, um... Uh, white and Maori like uh, what's mm -hmm. the breakdown um so what was really interesting for us is that Māori um represent about 14 to 15 percent of the population in general um and our survey um found that 27 percent of the population at the protest were Māori so there's about a double <laughs> representation there right um uh, there were also um, a strong representation of Pacific Islander um, people, um, Pākehā or New Zealand European um, were represented um, probably about fairly accurate with their position in the um, population. I think the most underrepresented group was uh, Asian New Zealanders. Okay. And, and mm. the, the, the issue there that they're there for is... Uh, any like is there any particular flagship issue that they're there for? Yeah, so it's the anti-mandates. Yeah. It's it's they um so um Ardern before the last election was very emphatic that she would not be introducing any mandates. Um so then when she did introduce them, uh, there's there's been a lot of disquiet about it. Um so uh, we've we've got quite um significant mandates for vaccination. Um, in that they 
Initially, it was thought that that impact about 40% of the workforce, but it's more like 30 from what we're seeing now. Right. Um, and so it's virtually um, everyone in public service, teachers, um, police, um, and uh, also some, some various kind of bits and bobs in the, in the private sector. But then also because of the use of vaccine certificates in places like hospitality, staff they're also mandated to be okay. um, vaccinated also yeah. so yeah covered a lot of people <laughs> the very similar issues are, are being you know look um you know faced in most of the anglosphere countries um mm. so i think what's interesting to me also is that um okay the new zealand high court last week mm-hmm. threw out a government requirement on police and defence force personnel to be vaccinated. Am I correct in, in that? Yeah. So it was a judicial review yeah. um, and they found that because um, one part of our Bill of Rights um, basically says that if this Bill of Rights is to be breached in some way by the government, it must be um, reasonably justifiable. And that's so, the... Yeah. The, yeah. So I'll, and, I'll read what um, yeah. it, it says. The order, so the order that is the order from the government requiring mm-hmm. vaccination limits the right to be free to refuse medical treatment recognised mm-hmm. by the New Zealand Bill of Rights Act. Um, in, this is, I'm reading from a, an article in mm-hmm. The Spectator, which quotes the judge, so Justice Cook. Um, yeah including because of its limitation on people's right to remain employed and it limits the yep. right to manifest religious beliefs, sorry, manifest religious beliefs for those who decline to be vaccinated because the vaccine has been tested on cells derived from a human fetus, which is contrary to their religious beliefs. Um, mm-hmm. And according to the, you know, what, what he went on to say um was that the sort of the religious belief argument didn't really fly, but it was the the the, the point about the Bill of Rights um, mm-hmm. um, right to refuse a medical treatment. Am I reading that correctly? Yeah, that's right. So they took a kind of multiple pronged attack, and um, obviously the the religious aspect was a weaker part, um, especially given that not all of the police force and um, the defence force are religious, so it wouldn't be a blanket um, kind of application. Um, so it was found that that, that grounds of, um, of being able to refuse any kind of medical treatment was what, um, what was infringed on. And because um, looking at the situation in New Zealand as it is today, that that um, breach of rights could not be justifiably um, shouldn't could not be reasonably justified. Uh, the the uh, judge uh, Cook, who um, is a very um, respected judge, um, found that, um, that that they just really were not able to be justified by the government. And it's very interesting timing because it obviously happened while the um, occupation at, at Parliament was happening. Um, and the government kind of just didn't address it because they don't need to respond to the judicial ruling for, I think, about a month. Right. Um, and so what will probably happen is that they'll let, um, you know, this protest die down and they will remove the mandates before they have to respond in court. 
um, because they've shown with other um, issues that have popped up around the borders, for example, and Kiwis trying to get home, um, that they will basically push it until they have to respond legally and then they'll just um, make exemptions or remove it. Yeah. It's interesting that the judge said, so I'm going to quote, um, in essence, the order mandating vaccinations for police and, and New Zealand Defence Force staff was imposed to ensure the continuity of the public services and to promote public confidence in those services rather than to stop the spread of COVID-19. Mm. Indeed, health advice provided to the government was that further mandates were not required to restrict the spread of COVID-19. Um, COVID-19 clearly involves a threat to the continuity of police and defence force services. That is because the Omicron variant in particular is so transmissible. But that threat exists for both vaccinated and unvaccinated staff. I'm not satisfied that the order makes a material difference, including because of the expert evidence before the court on the effects of vaccination on COVID-19, including Delta and Omicron variants. I I think this is the Mm -hmm. first time I've seen, um, I'm not not comprehensively monitoring, but I'm doing my best. It's Mm -hmm. the first time I've seen in a jurisdiction that has a human rights act or a bill of rights, a judge actually say, hang on, this vaccination stuff doesn't make sense because it doesn't stop transmission to others. I know. And up until now, the judges, at least here, like in Victoria, where they do have a human rights charter at the state level, we're just like, oh, well, the human, the, you know, the health authorities think it's necessary to have a curfew and we won't question that because it's a package of measures and we don't know which part of the package of measures is working and we'll just allow them to do whatever they want. That's basically been um, every judicial response. Um, mm. Yeah, I think um, Justice Cook needs to um, be given some credit because... Um, he's certainly um, received some flack from from those who support the government or have interest in um, the mandates being uh, maintained. Um, but I think he he gave a very thorough and and reasoned um, ruling, and and um, it'll be really interesting because what has now happened is um, that um, a legal challenge questioning the lawfulness of the vaccination mandate for educators and health workers uh-huh. has now begun at the high court. Interesting. So, yeah, yeah. 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 So what will probably happen there is of course they're going to use um, the, the other ruling um, to bolster their, their case. Um, and I suspect what will happen is that this whole mandate thing is, is going to fall down for the government. Okay. Um, and you are vaccinated. You're not against vaccines. Yeah. You just have to make that <laughs> unnecessary, annoying throat clearing. Um, yeah, it was funny. I was I was sitting um, doing my 15 minutes after getting my booster the other day um, and reading messages from people accusing me of being anti-vax and uh, and I was thinking, no, I'm definitely not anti-vax. Um, I'm just kind of interested in um, making sure that freedoms and rights aren't being impinged on um, in the process of trying to ensure everyone is healthy and not, you know, um, you know, COVID doesn't rip through the the country. Mm. Yeah, I, you come from a very like, I, I, I you know, you, you've you've come from a, a place that's a bit different from the, I guess the orthodoxy of um you know on the left which is 
which is good. I admit, I admit there's something about my personal psychology, which I'm, I'm on the left, I think, far left. I, I admit there's something about my personal psychology and what annoys me about this stuff. It clearly doesn't annoy other people, but I don't like being told what to do. I don't like anything that sounds yeah. like a school principal scolding me. Uh, I think there's something really weird and neurotic about, and not based in medical science, about this mm. idea that if only we follow all the rules that teacher said and, and do everything the right way because teacher is watching, then we will mm -hmm. beat this airborne respiratory virus. And you just see some very strange stuff, comments from people yeah. on Twitter. And I don't know if they're trolling or joking or serious, but stuff like if everyone wore a mask the correct way, COVID would be <laughs> over. Okay. Yeah, it would um, just, you know, disappear into the into the night. <laughs> or, or um there's like uh if if uh, this was actually written by, you know, pretty smart political consultant type sort of a young guy um in, in it was published on the ABC's website in late December mm. when everyone in Sydney was panicking about Omicron and he wrote mm. the, the article started at something like I haven't got COVID over the last two years and I intend to keep it that way. Like as though <laughs> you've got some say over like it's all about you and you're you know, following the rules that's going to make the difference, you know. Yeah. <laughs> just, just <laughs> delusional, really delusional. Like this is, it, yeah, crazy. Yeah, it is. And I feel like in New Zealand we've got an extra element of it because, um there has been a level of fanaticism about our prime minister. Um, she almost is the 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 teacher, the mum, the um, yeah, the matriarch um, who who is telling us what to do. And and there's almost um, a real backlash to anyone who, um, especially publicly, um, takes a challenge to that or um, questions the wisdom of something that she has uh, right. declared um, right. and and so it's been a really crazy time because you see these really de deranged attacks of people who've simply said hang on a minute I'm not sure about that um, mm. and it, I think that in part is responsible for what's been happening here with the protests because it's divided society a lot uh-huh and is that, um, I mean, is it just personal psychology? Do some people get annoyed by it or is there something about economic interests or a way I of looking at the world? Yeah. Mm, I definitely think I, I, every day I believe this more and more. This country is not splitting along political lines. It's splitting along economic lines and and. And, about, and power lines, I guess. We've got um, kind of, I guess, the elites, for lack of a better word, where we've got the government, the media, um, the bureaucrats, and the kind of, you know, leftist uh, middle class. Champagne socialists, I think they, they used to be called. Um, and then what you see um, on the other side is the increasingly marginalised the economically deprived, the people who uh, Jacinda Ardern promised um, to sort out housing and child poverty for um, when both of those have, have got worse. Um, and, and so you're getting this disgruntlement from people who are saying, like, I can no longer afford 
my rent and that's not because I've lost my job it's because rents and cost of living have gone up so much um and then the final straw is when they say well I don't want to get a vaccine and Mm -hmm. they're called scum and they're called you know all those kind of names so I definitely think it is economic disparity um that is driving a lot of this um and and it's been quite incredible watching the protests because you've got um people who claim to be um leftists um unionists you know really like you'd think um are really in touch with the working class and with protest movements and that kind of thing have just been almost the harshest mm-hmm. of these people who, who've come out to protest and you only need to go and walk among them to, to see that yes there are some exceptions to the rule and there's some you know people who are doing all good mm-hmm. but a lot of them are coming from situations of um, real struggle uh, and they feel like they were sold a dream in Jacinda and she was going to be this um, saviour and she cared and she loved everyone um, mm-hmm. and what they've received instead is, is a harder life and um, someone who stands on a podium and lectures to them. In, in, in what way is it harder life? Is that because um, the way that it's been handled in New Zealand um, just with uh, closures and lockdowns and so on has affected them more? Yes, yeah, so it's a mixture of COVID-related and non-COVID. So mm. on the COVID front, um, businesses, and when we say that, people think, you know, oh, big business, fat cats, all that kind of stuff. But most businesses in New Zealand are small and they're family businesses um, and they kind of run on the, you know, smell of an oily rag. They're not, they're not particularly well off. Um, and these businesses have not been able to trade for um, a long time. And when they have been able to trade, it's been under heavy restrictions yep. and with limited um, customers and that kind of thing. So there's been real difficulty on that front from COVID. Then um, the situation in terms of just general living in New Zealand has got markedly more difficult. Cost of living has gone through the roof. Um, petrol is now um, over $3 a litre, four ninety one, dollars And um, housing has just continued to skyrocket. So even rents, it's not just buying now, it's, it's cost of renting. Okay. So... Um, and, and things like social housing. Um, so there were 5,000 um, on the wait list when they took office in 2017, and there are now 25,000. Um, and so what we're seeing is um, that the gap between the rich and poor widening. Yeah. And then on top of that, the social consequences of that have been increased crime, and um, all the social issues that come with that. It's yeah. kind of a, a, yeah. a summary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's a good summary. <laughs> it's so interesting to me. I was just thinking as you said that. It's so interesting to me that like a friend of mine, he's he got rejected for a, a rental property recently and the real estate agent mm-hmm. uh, said we have a zero, it was something like we have a zero tolerance for um, history of rent arrears and he'd been late on his rent or, you know, in rent arrears for a period of about 12 days a few months ago. And I was just thinking, 
you're not allowed to reject someone from a property for being black or gay mm-hmm. or being mm-hmm. a Muslim or whatever, but you, you, there's no problem with saying you were poor back a few months ago. That's mm-hmm. fine. You, that's an irrational form of discrimination. Like, cause you're not poor mm-hmm. anymore. You can afford it now, but. And it's not a pattern of, um, illegal willful skipping yeah. of rent you know it's so, but different. that's but that but the human rights commission here can't hear a case on discrimination based on being poor <laughs> you know yeah, so, yeah that's the one criteria that you that's fine no issues with that <laughs> yeah it's and the thing is that just then um creates a um almost like a black hole that sucks people in you know that you have that one point of struggle that you start with uh, you skip the rent there then you can't find another home because no one will rent to you because you skip, you know, you missed the rent back then. So then you're living in your car. So then you lose your job because you're smelly and you, you know, you're, you're all over the place. And it just creates this kind of spiral where um, having a hard time turns into everything's gone. You're destroyed for life. Yeah. And, and that's, I think so disappointing for me. Um, I voted for for Jacinda's government in 2017, but I didn't this last time around. And I had a lot of hope that her empathetic approach meant that she understood those kind of struggles. Um, But it just really hasn't materialized into any like policy that has, um, or, or legislation that has made a difference. In any of these yeah. ways. Do, do you think, like, um, I was just thinking, do, do you think big business, like big retail loves these kind mm-hmm. of closures and lockdowns because it just sends all the spending to them because they're the ones that can do the delivery? Um, Absolutely. Yeah, and all the small I, I businesses just, die. Yeah. Exactly. It's You've seen um, not only has there been a massive transfer of wealth, um, or, like personal wealth, you also see, like, the massive corporations which already are, are you know um gonna survive this they um get business directed to them um as you say because they do the deliveries and the convenience factor and you have these small businesses who relied on foot traffic and who um were much more community-based uh, they've got no way to survive against those kind of beasts <laughs> who can just yeah. you know they can quickly on a, you know, okay, we need to swap out our model. We need to focus on um, online sales. We're going to, you know, get all the logistics sorted. A small business can't do that. Yeah. It's the foot traffic. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, so you mentioned before there was some challenge coming up uh, or mm-hmm. coming before the court, the high court on the quarantine system, which I think is now history. Like New Zealand's pretty much opening it's all happened very quickly so yeah. um there was a, a there was a challenge from what um they call themselves the grounded kiwis okay um and they have basically i don't um know much about who's behind them but they became like a um a collective of all these kiwis all over the world who were trapped overseas yeah so this um, is interesting because the same people tried the same type of people tried this in Australia, but we've got no Human Rights Act to 
to use oh. to to base a challenge on. So yeah, tell me about this. Um, about well, this is yeah. The the Human Rights Act um, says that New Zealand citizens and residents can uh, have a right to return home. Basically, it's very simple. And uh, in my my opinion, uh, the government has breached that right steadily over two years. Um, there have been people who, for whatever reason, whether it's um, we've had lots of really heartbreaking stories around um, trying to get back for dying relatives or funerals, um, you know, grandparents who've never met their grandchildren, all these kind of um, uh, things that we wouldn't have thought about in the past. Some, you just jump on a plane and go home. Yeah. Um, and the government has been very strict on our border, um, which made sense at the start, um, you know, especially when we didn't know much about um, how COVID was going to play out. And then when Delta came along, it was very aggressive and there was plenty to be worried about there. But in more recent times, especially with Omicron, where most of the places around the world we're seeing rapid transmission in communities, having the border open to mostly it's just going to be your own citizens wanting to come home um, will bring far fewer cases than what already exists in your community. Yeah, it's obvious. Um, yeah. And, yeah, and so that was the argument that was really getting pushed towards the government and they were digging their heels in. Um, and then we had the case um, of Charlotte Dallas. I'm not sure if you guys saw. Um, it got some international media. Mm, I'm not uh, aware of it. Yeah. yeah, so she's a she's a journalist, and she was working in the Middle East um, for Al Jazeera, and um, she uh, was she became pregnant unexpectedly. She didn't think she could become pregnant, um, and she's not married, so. She needed to come home because um, where she was living in Qatar, I believe, um, it is illegal to be pregnant and not married. Um, huh. And <laughs> it's a bit of an issue. Um, and her partner, um, he was from somewhere in Europe and they also, they wouldn't have her for more than three months because of visa issues. So she applied to come home. <laughs> And was uh, rejected on um, for emergency, um, uh, I guess, exemption to come home. Um, and it kind of blew up because most people look at that situation and go, why on earth would you say no to that? Like, just let her come home. Yeah. Um, but what ended up happening was she had spent a lot of time reporting in Afghanistan from when um, uh, the withdrawal of um, American and and allied troops um and so she had some contacts in the taliban yeah. and so she the only place she was legally allowed to live and work apart from new zealand was afghanistan so she contacted the taliban and said i'm pregnant and not married but i need somewhere um and they said we'll look the other way don't worry no one will give you any trouble um, so she got more support from the Taliban than she did from the New Zealand government. Oh, that's classic. Yep. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. So that kind of like put the cat among the pigeons because it, it stirred stuff up over here. Um, so then they were speeding up the border reopening. And then basically um, in the last couple of weeks with the amount of cases we've had, 
um, and the pressure that's been put on, um, they have basically, so they've opened now for Kiwis from anywhere can come home and they don't have to um, go into MIQ or anything. Um, and they still haven't given us a time frame for just tourists and, and other visitors. Yeah. Um, they're, they're holding out on that, but our tourism industry really needs um, some certainty there because they're, they're in big trouble. Have you got a theory about why they're digging in, digging their heels in um, on this? My theory is a wider one. It's just that um, uh, Jacinda Ardern has shown that she operates her cabinet and her government with a, a vice-like grip. She's very controlled and deliberate. They do polling on everything and focus groups and whatever. And so she's very, very reluctant to let go of control of anything. And we've seen that on basically all measures. She's held on to them just a little bit too long. Um, and so I think it really just is this, uh, I don't know if it's anxiety or um, need to just, just in case, keep a hold of things. Um, but I think basically it, it seems to turn out that we have to force her hand each time with either legal challenges or um, circumstances kind of just making it really untenable for her to mm. continue that stance. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, I, I was really hard on the Australians, especially on Australia, on Australia <laughs> before when we did our first few episodes um, in the second, like in the later months of last year. But now mm -hmm. I've been to Thailand and I've been reading a lot about Taiwan and Hong Kong and mm -hmm. Vietnam. And now I realize, you know, and Canada, actually, there's a lot of fear and neurotic behavior. And it's not much to do with being Australian. It's about this sort of kind of mm -hmm. nexus between politicians and the public. Mm. And there's a kind of a loop there and the media of sort of creating anxiety, maintaining it, and then like serving yes. the people the harsh measures that are required to you know satiate the um the anxiousness the fear, the, yeah um, i i mean i don't i don't claim to know too much about australian politics but on on a on a national level for you guys you know i have to say having not been a particular particular fan of scomo previously um he's at least been decisive on some stuff that was I kind of felt jealous of because we just haven't had that kind of um, leader who 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 just says right this is what we're going to do I know you're all scared but this is what we're doing um, and that oh, was just a perception from afar but, I but, guess, but but Scomo has had no I mean it's all words like essentially Australia split into eight separate countries and and still is yes. and like and he's just kind of commentating from the side so maybe he sounds he sounds I know well maybe uh, that's just the soundbite that that, that I get but. I, I definitely have noticed that um, just watching Sky News occasionally that it's it, I see that New South Wales is doing something and okay. WA is doing yeah. something else. So, yeah, yeah. so I mean, <laughs> it sounds like it's been as chaotic for you guys as, Look, as the, everywhere else. As far, you know, in terms of WA, like I just try to ignore it because it's just just annoys me. But um, the the, <laughs> the only the only theory I have about why completely. Um, you know, unscientific, over the top, you could say cautiousness, but, you know, batshit craziness is another way. Of putting, <laughs> um, the only theory I have about why that is continuing is that the Premier there just, he just can't 
allow for the fact that he might have been wrong and that he might appear yeah. he might appear yeah. to be a loser or you know not not a winner of you know so like he doubles down just so that he doesn't appear to <laughs> have been to wrong. lose face yeah, yeah yeah definitely it's a powerful motivator and you see it with like a lot of um a lot of politicians and um and this this inability to ever say oh, I might not have got that right or um you know or let's change tact it's very difficult for them to 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 kind of take that place I mean I look at somewhere like WA in New Zealand I think we are both the most isolated kind of parts of the uh, Anglosphere mm. um it wasn't that hard to keep it out for a while was it you know like <laughs> It wasn't that we, hard, yeah, we were, exactly. Yeah. yeah, we didn't we didn't have to work particularly hard on that front. Um, and what's been interesting is that both of our both New Zealand and WA, despite those advantages, like geographically and and maybe in in um, population sprawl, um, we've gone like really extreme with the measures, and so we've almost been more extreme in places that were more at risk yeah it's it's yeah mcgowan he the, the way he presents is also very well you've got the sort of the school principal type of thing with ardern but we've got the <laughs> he's, he's got this this military leadership thing going on like with this very belligerent very kind of aggressive <laughs> kind of almost like we're we're fighting world war ii here very kind of um <laughs> yeah, that, yeah that kind of thing um so um so just just to wind up i'm just curious about what you said earlier um about gender critical uh, mm -hmm. label I, could you flesh that out a bit i was just curious why you said maybe that's no longer something that you um i definitely still um so i'm i still uh think that it's really important that sometimes we talk about biological sex and and the um the, the physical aspects of our being um especially when it pertains to women's rights because for millennia we um we have lived the way we've lived we've had certain oppressions we've had challenges um based on our physical being um and the um role that's been assigned there so i do still believe that i still believe um that um you know, sport, for example, should be um, organised based um, the most fairly on on biological sex. Perhaps we have an open category and a and a woman's category. Um, and so I I stand by all of that. All I all I mean by um, kind of the labels is that um, I guess any kind of movement just gets hijacked and taken into a um, sometimes into a, a different space and. I guess I quite like to have some calm and um, and reason discussions about how we can um, retain respect and um, I guess um, understanding of biological sex and, and how it matters, while still um, ensuring that you know in twenty twenty two we we are um, making sure that that life is. Um, it's good for everyone and um, that people who um, identify other than their biological sex um, 
aren't unnecessarily just like discriminated against or um, face um, undue challenges. I think it's a it's a hard one because there are conflicts of interest in there, mm-hmm. but I don't think it's beyond us as a society to have conversations and figure out how we can make this work and how we can kind of go, well, actually it matters here that we we know that this is a female space or that this is um, about sex. Um, but in all these other places, it doesn't matter and we can talk about gender and gender identity. Yeah. That's kind of a very simplified. Yeah. And no, no, <laughs> it's just, just, yeah, just a, a question that came to me, um, as something that is of interest, yeah, for possibly um, mm. another episode. Very yeah. good. Well, I appreciate you um, coming on at short notice. Uh, Annie O'Brien uh, no from the platform, is it the platform NZ? Um, it's the platform.kiwi is our, is ah, our website. Okay. Yeah. Platform.kiwi. And mm-hmm. I guess fairly new. So there's going to be, um, I think you said you were doing a, a podcast now. Is that right? Um, so it's actually going to be full-on radio broadcast. Ah, okay. um, we're building our studios. Um, so at the moment, I'm, I'm just kind of, I've got some written content going up and then we're doing bits and bobs um, kind of, we did a bit with the protesters because it was just happening. Yeah. Um, but we um, hopefully by the end of the month, our studio will be good to go and we'll be um, doing talkback radio throughout the day. And then we'll be creating podcasts um, additionally that will be available on our app and website. Okay, I'll, I'll link to the platform in the notes. Brilliant. Thanks Thank for you. joining us, uh, Loose Cannon. Uh, so that's it for Loose Cannon today. Please do get in contact. The email address is loosecannonpod at gmail.com and my new Twitter with very few followers at Jono Loose Cannon, um, all one word. And um, yeah, we'd love to hear from you. So uh, thanks for joining us and uh, see you next time. Bye.